Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here. We're back on Amazing Business Radio, and I'm very excited today. I'm always excited, but especially excited because there is a company out there that I admire and respect so much, and many of you have heard about this company, and the company is called HubSpot. They are like super cool, uh, based in the Boston uh, area, and we've got Michael Redboard today, and he is the general manager of the service hub at HubSpot, and this guy knows service. He's built out the service experience uh, from a team of maybe 20 people in a single office to multiple languages and people all over the globe uh, taking care of the HubSpot customers. And And I just know HubSpot does an excellent, excellent job of managing the experience for the customers. So we've got a lot to talk about. Michael, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Thank you so much, Shep. Really, really happy to be here today and uh, talk a little shop with you, talk about some really exciting stuff. So, Mike, real quick, uh, let's talk a little bit about HubSpot so people who don't know about HubSpot know how cool that company is. Yeah, sure. So HubSpot's a software company. We've been around for about uh, 12 years. And what we really do is we make software for small and medium-sized businesses to help them grow, right? So that's everything from CRM to marketing software, sales software, and now recently uh, what I've been working on, the service software. So we kind of we kind of look at the businesses like, hey, do you want to grow your business? If so, we are the platform to help you get there. Wow. Excellent. So one, we talk, there's so many great topics uh, we can talk about, but one of the topics that you have listed here are the five rules of a customer-centric strategy. And this, by the way, customer centricity is a big word today, big phrase. Everybody, how can we be more, more customer-centric? Well, the first thing is it starts with a culture, and if you're going to have that kind of a strategy, it's got to be built into your DNA. I know that's a lot of what HubSpot believes in is taking care of their customers, and now uh, we're going to talk about how they do it and what are the five rules of customer-centric strategy. That's a mouthful to say, by the way. Customer-centric strategy. (laughs) Say it five times fast, right? (laughs) How about we just do five rules and say it once? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So I think like at the highest level, right, when you talk about customer-centric strategy, you need to sort of – you need to – peel that back a little bit just to talk about what the mission of that is. And you're right, it's rooted in culture and mindset. But like I would sort of just define it as the process of building your product and therefore your customer experience on, in sort of an outside-in manner, right, based off the wants and needs and the challenges of your customers as opposed to the wants and needs and challenges of your business and your P&L. So it's kind of a matter of perspective, that whole customer-centric design topic, right? And then once you get in there, there's a bunch of different ways that you can sort of, you know, go about attacking that from that customer perspective inwards, right? And so those five rules are about, you know, from the customer standpoint, what do they need to be successful in terms of, like, knowledge, right? Uh, and how can you take that knowledge and make it available to customers in ways that make sense to them and, you know, enable them to get what they want out of your out of your experience, out of your product? There's all sorts of interesting ways you can talk about segmentation and self-service and all sorts of bits of technology in order to do that, Right. Then you also have like ways to think about what to do next as a business. So you have the knowledge you need for folks to be successful today. And then you have your roadmap about what you want to do in the actual future for your customers. And there's ways to drive that off of what your customers have to say, mm-hmm. again, as opposed to off what your business has to say. So things like voice of the customer programs, all sorts of tactics you can do to get that done. right? And then 
as you actually get in there and you're building that experience bit by bit, sort of brick by brick, especially if you're building uh, engineering a product, right? How do you take in user input in the micro to make all that better as you're sort of trying to uh, build something to make a customer successful in the macro? So how do you take user experience, uh, do really good research, understand you know what folks need in a moderated and unmoderated way? There's all sorts of different um, kind of tricks in there. And then lastly is how do you kind of talk about all this stuff to your customers, right? And so, you know, once you actually execute a change, how do you communicate it in a way that's in their language, uh, helps them understand where you're going, and really communicates the amount of care that you've taken to think in that super outside-in way, to make all that knowledge available, and to, in the macro and the micro, you know, uh, follow their lead as opposed to your own. So there's a lot of different kind of perspectives here. I think on the super highest level, though, customer-centric design is really about just walking in your customer's shoes, understanding where they're at, and working backwards from there as opposed to forwards from where your business is. I think most of the people say, okay, I've got this product. This is what I think is great. Now let's go to the customer rather than start with the end in mind, working backwards. I think that's part of what you're saying. It, it definitely is. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a tension, you know, in, in business about who you solve for and, and the, the lens that you choose, right? A lot of businesses say to themselves, ask the question, right? How do I grow my business as fast as possible. And that's a very kind of enterprise value focused statement. And that leads to conclusions like, oh, I need to raise my price. I need to move up market. I need to, you know, uh, figure out how to, you know, uh, sell more or something like that. That question and those solutions are really kind of inwardly focused, right? And Mm -hmm. it's very, very different than saying, what do my customers need to be more successful? What do my customers need to see more value for me to extend their value even beyond what they thought they would get? That leads to a really different set of um, mindsets, I would say, and a really different set of actions from that mindset when you start with that customer value-focused question as opposed to that enterprise value-focused question. One of the things we teach our clients is that every decision that's made has to have the customer in mind. How And I'm usually thinking from a service uh, side of things where you're talking about really marketing, sales, product, design, everything. But from a customer service standpoint, I just simply ask my clients, if everything you do, every process you have, think, how is this impacting the customer? Is this easier for them or easier for us? And by the way, I'm not saying that every decision you make has to be customer friendly, but it has to be customer focused. And there's a difference. Focus means you've You've taken the customer's considerations and how they're going to feel and how they're going to react. You know, you decide to raise a price. That's uh, Is that a customer-friendly decision? And the answer to that is probably, well, I'm sure customers are not going to be happy we raised our price. So the answer would probably be no. But when you explain the why behind your raising of the price, well, you know, things are a little bit more expensive, so we have to figure out ways to still deliver the level of service that we have and do all the great things we have without impacting the customer's pricing too much. Where can we cut? What can we do? Or what do we have to do to stay in business and keep a reputation or brand alive and consistent? And then you start looking at that way, and the customer's going to go, I understand it. This is a business decision, not about, you know, making more money. It's about making sure you maintain what we're used to. And it works. I think that's actually a really good distinction between customer focus and customer centric, right? So when I'm talking about this kind of customer centric design end to end, right? The the goal is to understand where your customers are, to ask those questions and begin thinking from that perspective, right? Not to just run your business to the charity. That that's not that's not the exercise, right? Mm-hmm, right. It's to kind of d- develop into a more lovable brand that has better sort of economics in the long run by taking your customer's perspective, but still applying that really, you know, keen business mindset to the actual decisions that you make. Mm -hmm. But if you start from that customer standpoint, 
your solutions and sort of the nuance, especially how you communicate it back out to your customers, which is super critical, um, that's more likely to be something that they are able to align with, right? And that makes you on the net a more lovable sort of, you know, customer-friendly type brand, which on the long term, man, that's got some great, great, great growth leverage. Great. So I want to ask you, you ran through these quickly and you didn't give me numbers to go with them. And I know I feel like I blended a couple of these together or maybe I added one because I came up with six as I was going through the five rules. <laughs> so sure. uh, I know I've got uh, walking in the customer's shoes. It's basically understanding the whole process and, and, and being able to say, OK, this is what the customer experience is. Correct. Yeah, and I think even before that is just understanding the knowledge. Okay, so, so not okay. I may have flipped that around. Yeah, knowledge. So knowledge is first. Understanding. Got yeah, it. knowledge first, and then using that knowledge to become more customer centric in your sort of a, approach to you know product development, building whatever you have or, or whatever service process you're looking to create. The knowledge is kind of the shared foundation, mm-hmm. and then you sort of take that, understand what knowledge folks need to be successful, and that informs you know how you create a more customer-centric process. Right, and you have the listening to the customer as part of that. Totally, yep. And then third one is really like listen to the customer, prioritize for them and okay. for the business. Find the intersection of those two. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. And execute on, on that. And yep. then, and then uh, next up is yep, in the micro-execute on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lastly, communicate it. You know, and if, if you've done the first four, Right? You've really understood the knowledge folks need to be successful. You've then you know, used that as a foundation to understand uh, what to do to be more customer-centric and what play you want to call. And then as you're kind of working through that, you're understanding in the macro and the micro what folks need and want to be successful. Your communication, the last piece, should actually be really, really fluid. It should actually be very, very simple uh, because you've taken the walk with that customer the whole way. It shouldn't be you know, a backflip to do that communication. Well, it should be very, very natural. Right, right. Exactly. All right. So – Excellent ideas, and, and there's a lot of food for thought there. You know what? Before we take a break, uh, there's another topic that um, we, I thought we might get into it. We might not. I like this concept, and I'm, and I'm looking at my notes, that you, you have a wonderful person who sent all this upfront information. It's outstanding. And I keep thinking uh, all of this is about really focusing on the customer, and I wasn't going to talk about it, but customer success. There's this mm. concept. Why making customers more successful is the key to business growth. So what do you, I mean, let's just talk for a few minutes on that before we take a break. Yeah, sure. So I think there's a very kind of traditional model for business growth that I'll, that I'll outline in super brief here, right? So that's basically, you know, do a bunch of marketing, create a brand image, attract folks, right? Convert them into leads, move them through a sales process, and then out pops a customer, right? And, and that kind of growth works pretty well. It's very sort of funnel-driven type growth, right? Uh, what we've discovered at HubSpot, both for ourselves and for our customers, is, is that can work for a, a period of time. But at the point at which you start to get any scale whatsoever, your customers really define your reputation and your mm-hmm. ability to acquire more customers more than your marketers do. So that your customers become your best marketers or your worst enemies if your customer experience isn't good. So when it comes to customer success, right, and you think about how to grow your business, if you make your customers successful, deliver them exceptional value, give them great experiences, they turn into your best marketers, and that's a massive, massive brand amplification tool, even better than your own marketing. So we really think of that funnel-based process that's heavy on sales and marketing, 
that can work for a period of time. But if you can get your customers to really promote you and get them great experience, there's a virality to that that's exceptional. And there's actually this model that's a little bit more of a flywheel and that really spins at the pace of your customer delight. And we really, really like that way of thinking about it as opposed to the old traditional funnel. And it's really a function of customer success and customer value. I love it. So your customers define who your brand is. The more successful you make your customers, the more likely they are to be talking about you, promoting you, becoming your brand ambassadors, your evangelists. And and those are the people that are out there really driving the market. So they're telling your story. And this is more, I, I love NPS, the Net Promoter Score, which is the scale of zero to 10. What's the likelihood you'd recommend me to a friend or a colleague? And, and great, I can understand that. That gives me a number and that's intent. But the actual behavior of a client loving you so much, being so ecstatically happy with the results that they're willing to share it with the world, and that becomes mm-hmm. your best marketing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you, you've made a really key distinction there. You can understand your customer, understand who your best customers are, but there's a further set of actions you need to take to unlock that advocacy, right? And then sort of turn your customers into that growth engine. That's actually something that a lot of businesses fall short on. I think, you know, we all get lots of surveys from lots of businesses, but they are really unable to get that virality effect and that advocacy and turn that customer marketing effort into growth. That's actually a very special trick. I think it requires a lot of creativity and a lot of customers that really love you in order to actually unlock that because not every one of your promoters wants to be one of your advocates. Yep. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the big predictions you have for the future of customer service technology. Hot topic. Lots of people are talking about it. I'm getting ready this week, uh, and I realize the show we're doing today won't come out for a couple of weeks, but this week I'm going to Contact Center World, uh, CCW, which is, gosh, we're going to be talking about everything technologically based for the support world. Anyway, we'll be right back. This is Amazing Business Radio. You've been listening to me, Shep Hyken, talking with Mike Redboard, the general manager, service hub at HubSpot, an awesome, cool company. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Shep Hyken here. How would you like customer service training anytime you want it or need it, day or night? Well, with Shepard Virtual Training, you will have world-class customer service training at your fingertips online 24 7 365 days a year just go to www.shepondemand.com once again that's shepondemand.com and remember always be amazing this is amazing business radio with shep hyken back on Amazing Business Radio talking to Mike Redboard of HubSpot. I'll say that again, HubSpot. Boy, what am I doing today? I think it's because I'm tired, just back from an international trip. And actually, Mike, you are as well. You are just in Australia, probably more in the air than on the land, uh, which is the way I usually do things as well. I fly there. Uh, I just came back from uh, Central America, Latin America, uh, and I think I spent as much time in the airplane as I did on the ground uh, to do my speech and, and get out of there. And that's what you were doing. So I was uh, going to ask you to talk about your predictions for the future of customer service technology. But before we do that, at that short break that we just had, you and I were talking more about this. And I would like to spend just a few minutes talking about how you turned those happy clients and customers into your brand advocates. I mean, we mentioned NPS, the Net Promoter Score, with the idea that if I gave you a 9 or a 10, my intention is, yeah, that's the likelihood that I would. But how do you really get me to recommend a company like yours to my friends and colleagues? What do you do to activate that evangelism? 
Yeah. So I think NPS is really interesting because it gives you this like broad based sort of feedback that's pretty lightweight for your customers to provide, right? Simple survey, zero to 10, all that, and then a little comment. So I think when you when you send that survey out, you get it back. So you get some promoters, right? These people that give you nines and tens. But we said before, not every one of them is necessarily going to be an advocate, right? Not every one of them is going to want to really, you know, almost market your brand for you, right? And so when you take a look at those promoters, I think there's a couple of things you need to do. The first is just separate them into people who are giving you, you know, sort of over the top and specific feedback, right? Those folks are much more likely to want right. to take the further time to actually advocate for you. A lot of people will give you these kind of high scores in NPS that are, I don't know, kind of a, a general love <laughs> type sentiment, right? Like, I love HubSpot. I love Shep, all that kind of stuff. Those guys are okay, but they're not usually the ones that will take the time to really go over the top and advocate for you. So what you need to do is sort your promoters into people that you think are actually going to be likely advocates, and that's the first step. And how do you, and how do you identify step, that? Yeah. You say it's because they've given you specific feedback. So is it, I love HubSpot because, and they give you that because, and you go, okay, these people, they're, they're being more specific. Does specificity uh, translate into a higher likelihood of true evangelism and recommend, you know, recommending a company to a client or a friend or a colleague? That, that's what we've seen, at least. And, you know, even to start by separating folks that just give you a nine versus folks that give you a nine and write a comment, mm -hmm. right? And it's that extra effort that indicates a higher likelihood for them to actually want to take that next extra effort to advocate on your behalf, right? So you start with that sorting function, and then you, you need to actually ask them if they want to advocate for you. It, it's one of the, I think, pitfalls of NPS is to assume, right? People can give you a nine, say something nice, but then, you know, they, they just don't want to take that further step or something else happens to them in the interim between when they fill in NPS and when you ask them to advocate, now they no longer want to, and that can really blow back on you. Mm -hmm. So you need to kind of go through a process with them to really convert those promoters into advocates and think of those as distinct stages in the customer life cycle, right? So once you get that feedback in, somebody gives you a nine on NPS and a really nice comment, right? What you want to do is send them a note back and say, hey, we're happy you're happy. You're interested in joining us on this journey of growth together, right? And then you can describe what that means and see if they want to actually opt into that. And if they do, now you have your pool of advocates and that'll be a subset of your promoters. And then you can choose to act you activate them, you know, whatever it is, write us reviews, uh, referrals, case studies, and, you know, those can really depend on the nature of your business, uh, exactly how you sort of unlock that that power. Okay, so this is the million-dollar phrase, and you just said it. How can we? I I I I try to write it down as fast as you. You're going a mile a minute. We're getting a lot of good content here, <laughs> and I don't want you to slow down. But I do want to take a breather, and I want to get this line right. How can we participate or, or, or go on this journey of growth together? What What was you yeah. just had the perfect sentence? That, that that's it. I think it's we're happy. You're happy. Mm -hmm. Right, because you gave us a good a good survey response, and you know, would you like to partner more closely together and go on this journey of growth together? Right? Journey and of growth I together. Think, wow. I think there needs to be a bit of a win win in there, right? Um, you know, and for instance, like when you book a hotel on uh, hotels.com and they send you this type of email, like, hey, how did your stay go? They, there's a give get, right? So they say, hey, write a review. And then if you do, they'll send you, you know, a little coupon or something like that. Uh, and there's there's a mutual benefit both for the business's growth and for the advocate's growth too. And and you know, it can be it can be, I think, highly variable. Sometimes, you know, when we write a case study on a company on HubSpot.com, gives that company uh, 
that's in the case study, a lot of free press, and we give them some inbound links back to their site. You know, that's certainly enough of a, of a give in order to get that case study. So there's a lot of different ways to think about it, but it needs to be a win-win, a journey of mutual growth together. Right. And we're not looking to bribe a person to give you a good review. They've already given you that good review. And what you're trying to do is take it to a whole nother level. And sending somebody a thank you note, um, maybe, I mean, I don't know, we're not talking about some type of an affiliation where you pay somebody a royalty or a commission for business they bring you. I think you're looking at something about just being nice. Um, yeah. I, I work with uh, a company, uh, actually the company that does my online training, uh, Lightspeed VT. Bradley is their CEO. And when Brad and I sat down the very first time, I said, you know, I love what you're doing and I think you've done a great job on my my program. Um, what can I do to help you? And he looked up at me. He says, mm-hmm. "Are you suggesting that perhaps you recommend me to your friends in exchange for some type of financial compensation?" And I could see this is what he does. Okay, he's kind of getting mm-hmm. excited about it. And I said, "No, Brad. By recommending you for financial consideration, I am now in an awkward position of having to tell yeah. somebody there is a, a meth. There's a motive." to why I'm recommending you, a financial incentive to do so. He goes, well, well, then what do you want? And I said, all I want is for you to just do what you just did in the last month and a half. Treat me like the new customer that I am six years from now, 10 years from now, because I don't want you to get stale. So just, you know, make me feel like you're putting me at the front of the line, even if I'm not, but just make me feel great about doing business with you, and I'll always recommend you. And he says, Shep, you're going to be amazed. And you know what? He's pretty much been true to his word. He's amazed me over and over again. So, I, I love that story because it's one where, yeah, they got you to the point of promotion and advocacy, and the story you just told to me, it, it's all about, like, it's, it's about trust and love, right? And, yeah. and it's, not about, it's not about financial reward, right? And you, you feel as though there's just sufficient value for you in just promoting them. And that's awesome because those guys did an amazing job with you as their customers. That's actually an incredible story of advocacy. And here you just promoted them on this show. Too. I did, so, and okay. I'll do it again and again. <laughs> and you know what? I know that Brad's used to paying people. He comes from the car business where you send somebody a, a, a token of appreciation in the form of money when they recommend yeah. a customer to you and, another, you know, sharing, you know, commissions with salespeople and, and, you know, who bring you business. That's what his mindset has been. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great model in certain businesses. Uh, I just felt that for my integrity, and by the way, nothing to say that doing it that way is anything that's not in- integritous. But for my integrity personally, I don't want somebody to say, hey, Shep, you know, I, you know, I got a friend of mine. He does an event where he brings speakers in and he he suggests, you know, he teaches them how to be better speakers. Mm-hmm. The first thing I say is, you need to know, I'm on the board of advisors. I love this guy and I'm putting my name on his product. That alone should be enough, but I'm also on his board of advisors. So total transparency. And I think people people appreciate it. All right, we're, we are going to get to those predictions for the future of customer technology. And we're going to do it as soon as we get back from this break. Don't go away. We're talking with Mike Redboard of HubSpot. This is Amazing Business Radio. Want to amaze your customers, impress the people you work with, and outshine your competition? Going from average to amazing isn't an out-of-reach goal. In fact, amazement is a habit that anyone can master. In my latest book, Be Amazing or Go Home, I share the secrets behind my mantra, which is to always be amazing. Drawing on the routines of incredible people, I share simple practices that can elevate your game. Once you master those habits, you'll be able to create trust, 
build stronger relationships, make sales, advance your career, and much more. Now is the time to step out of ordinary and step into being amazing. Be Amazing or Go Home is now available on Amazon.com in ebook and hardcover. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. All right, I promised you the predictions for the future of customer service technology from one of the very cool technologically forward companies in the whole world. That would be HubSpot. All right, Mike, this is it, the big one. Actually, six or five or however many you want to share with us. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So, like, I've spent the last eight years at HubSpot building our service and success team, right? And now I'm actually building software to take some of the things that we've learned in that journey and enable our customers to do it for themselves. And so, like, when I think about technology and the way that it's changing um, service, right, this is the story I've lived, and it's a story that I'm, like, you know, I'm looking forward into the future uh, to try to predict, right? So there's a few things that, I guess, I see and we see at HubSpot that are trends that um, are likely to keep happening. So the first is really about face-to-face and video communications. So when we think about the way most service is done, in the past, it's all via phone or email. But I think about it forward into the future. Video is, of course, a force to be reckoned with in a lot of ways. But I think sort of lower rent, almost like video voicemail, like a quick womb video or something like that, is actually mm-hmm. a trend that we see as really a rising tide. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of video conferencing stuff going on. But I just think video in general and showing your face is going to become a bigger and bigger thing. Uh, as you know, trust diminishes over time, folks you know, in general feel more disconnected. Showing your face and building that trust is a big, big deal. So we're doing this in our service today. We're also thinking about ways that we can uh, enable our customers to do that kind of stuff, too. So that's number one. I love it. So what you're saying is something like a quick little video. So you send me an email asking me a question. Rather than me type something back, I just I, – and I use a company called BombBomb, which is a video service. Yep. Um, and I just shoot a quick video. Hey, got your question. Here's how I would do it. Can I add one other thought to video? Uh, many times people ask me when there needs to be a balance between technology and the – and personal, you just nailed it by using the video, but at the same time using the technology to deliver the answer to the customer. And it's just, you did it both. But I'll go a step further and say too many times technology needs to be backed up by a human being when it isn't working. You know, maybe it's a chat bot that isn't quite understanding what the customer wants, needs to seamlessly connect then to a real agent. Or the other way around, the agent says, hey, you know what, I can talk to you about this and try to walk you through it. Can I send you a video that will show you, not just tell you, but show you what you need to know? And, you know, mm. once again, now you flip them from human back to technology. But you just nailed both of them with the concept of sending an answer via video. Yeah, and I think it's actually less time for the answerer often too. Yeah, like you don't have to type and worry about typos. <laughs> yeah. it, it's great. You don't have to proofread, right? And it just comes off so much more authentic in an era when people are really searching for that authenticity uh, when they're working with vendors as customers. So I think that's super important. Excellent. All right, another big trend. Yeah, so so we, you mentioned it before, but um, chats and bots. Let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a there's an absolute truth that folks are less patient today, right? Uh, and they want answers now, and they expect that 24/7 type presence from any business they work with, whether it's Amazon.com or you know or Google or a mom and pop shop or you know a regional landscaping company. There's that expectation of real time messaging. So I, I really do think that chat is 
part of that, right? But small and medium-sized businesses can't staff chat all the time. And so there's a lot of excitement about bots, right? Everybody wants bots, and they want bots as almost a, a thing to have. I think we need to think about bots as a tool in the toolbox to enable every business to put on a 24-7 uh, storefront, right? and help professionals, not replace them, and help people sort of get that immediacy and uh, lean into the fact that folks aren't that patient, even though you can't be by your computer or your phone 24-7. Mm-hmm. So I think chat's a big deal because folks are less and less patient. They want that immediacy. And then bots are a way almost just to automate. Think about it just as a simple automation tool for chat to give people what they want when you're not around. And I think it'll really help people be more efficient you know, when you can't be there. So a couple of comments there. Number one, so you've got your frequently asked questions set up as a chat bot. So the bot will understand the question and it will answer appropriately. However, what if the chat bot recognize, doesn't recognize the question? Now we're in trouble. But that's when the bot comes back and says, you know, uh, the great question. I wish I could answer that. You've reached us in an off hours time. We're open between 8 and 5 central time or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. I'm going to put this as a priority for someone to come in first thing. So at least you give them a message as to you know, what, because at a very simplistic level, that's going to happen. More sophisticated systems for larger companies that could afford a more robust system may not happen. Plus, they may have people on staff 24-7. Yeah. I think that the, one of the key things about bots that I'm seeing is a lot of people are using them just like, you know, kind of a, a fancier form, right? Mm-hmm. And really, a bot should have a personality. It should be conversational, and it should converse with you. It should feel like a conversation. So there's some companies, I think, doing very, very clever things with bots in order to make it feel that way, even though it's really just programming it in the background. There's other companies that are doing kind of less clever things and giving me a little bit of bot fatigue, if you will, uh, that are just sort of making me talk to bots when I don't really want to, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a time and a place for them, and smart companies will sort of figure that out, figure out how to align that with their brand, and use bots to help their people, not replace them. Give me an example of that creative uh, idea that you just said. Some companies are really good at clever. You said use the word clever. Yeah. So, so let's see here. I, I think that um, this is actually a bit of an odd example because uh, it's not a company that folks often think of as clever, but I think it did something clever recently. Uh, Bank of America actually created a bot that is, is pretty smart. And I, I bank with them personally. And, you know, I, I can talk to that bot and do things faster with that bot than I can clicking through their web app. Now, that might be a comment on the quality of their web app, but that bot actually helps me get to something that I want faster. And I do know that if at any point in time, because the bot tells me, if at any point in time I need to talk to a human, I can sort of bail out of the bot, right, and and get to a person right away. And I really like that experience, and it mm-hmm. works on my phone, it works on my browser, uh, because it's just a lot simpler than trying to click through and find, you know, that one time that I had a charge from a, from a business in Australia. It's just a lot easier. Yeah, love it. All right. How about a third trend? Yeah, so I, I think that there's um, there's a rising tide with self-service. Yes. Self-service is a topic that we've been talking about in customer support and customer service and customer success land for, what, 20 years, right? But it's getting to the point where it's an absolute necessity. And sort of like I just said um, with chats and bots and how those are going to become real table stakes for any business, not just Bank of America, but for, for smaller businesses too, I think self-service will become an absolute necessity for small and medium-sized businesses as well. So there's that expectation, again, of immediacy, there's a lack of patience in people, and there's a desire to, when you have a, a problem or a question, to pick up your phone and Google the, the answer 
you don't want to pick up your phone and call, right? So it's right. a service, I think, more and more than ever in the past is this rising tide and it's on its way to becoming an absolute necessity for every business. And it shouldn't be hard, right? This is just about taking those notes that you write in email over and over, taking those conversations that you have at the front desk of your business over and over and codifying them in a, you know, in a blog post or a knowledge base article or something. It shouldn't be difficult, but I think businesses that aren't doing that, you know, five, 10 years from now are really going to feel behind because they're not going to be working with people the way those people want to be worked with. Yeah, I think customers want answers quickly. They want them quickly by the way they want to talk to the you know to the company. So this whole concept of self-service is great. Uh, two comments. Let's go back to the video that you talked about in your first idea, and that is self-service. I remember, and I've talked about this example for at least a couple of years, I had a ping-pong table that I bought for my daughter, and I'm trying to put it together, and I can't, I mean, it's, it's a German ping-pong mm-hmm. table, Notes are, or the instructions are in German. I don't speak German. Great pictures of everything, but it was still a bit confusing. You can only imagine a German ping pong table. Very precise. Lots of good parts to put it together yep. to be perfect. So I just, on a lark, typed in the name of the manufacturer and the model number, and a video on YouTube came up showing me step-by-step step how to do it. And I went, wow, this just saved me hours of time. I don't have to wait on hold to talk to a rep. I don't have to feel guilty for taking up the rep's time and or even having to call him back on a second or third question. It was it was fantastic. All right, great ideas. We have time for the one thing question. One more idea from you, Tom. I'm sorry, Tom, Mike. <laughs> Where'd I come up with Tom? Doesn't matter. Anyway, I don't know. Whether it's, maybe that's the next show. Who knows? But, Michael, um, I always ask this at the end of every show. You've given us a tremendous amount of information. The one thing question, what's one thing you want to reemphasize or something new you want to share with us? This is kind of like the lightning round, but just one quick question. What would it be? Yeah, I know I talk fast and I dropped a lot of knowledge. So thanks to everybody for uh, for kind of keeping up and for, for hanging with us. I, I want to reinforce something that I said earlier um, about sort of the way you think about your business, the way you structure your business model at the highest level, about your mindset, about the way you invest in your business, right? So we found at HubSpot that your customers can really be your best marketers. They can be your very, very best engine of growth. In order to do that, you really need to invest in them. You need to build trust with them, you need to build promoters, you need to build advocacy, and then you can really take the funnel of your business, sales, marketing, and customers, you can bend that funnel into a flywheel. And that flywheel really spins at the pace of your customer's delight. So if you can make really delighted customers, they can be just the biggest help to your growth. They can become your best marketers and they can help your business grow really, really fast if you can nail that virality, nail that kind of delight factor with your customers. I love that word virality. That's the second time you used it in our conversation today. I think uh, HubSpot is the model on exactly what we're talking about because, first of all, the reason you're in business is you have a solution to help companies be more successful. And so much of your success depends upon other people referring you, making recommendations. And you have a conference every year. Um, what's it called? It's it's huge. It's like your it's users. Called, it's event. called Inbound. It's, it's, Inbound. It's, yeah, it's like uh, 25,000 folks or so in Boston. It's a lot of fun. Right. 25,000 people, small and medium-sized businesses, decide they love HubSpot enough to come to this event. And uh, I think that's testimony to what you're talking about, is that you're very you're very customer-focused and customer-centric in, in what you do. So thanks for sharing your insights, Mike. I so much appreciate it. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. By the way, 
at the rate you talk, this is about a 30-minute show. They actually got an hour and 16 minutes worth of content <laughs> <laughs> based on the speed well, of your, that's what you your get. talk. Yeah, I'm an engineer by trade, so I talk I talk fast. Yeah. All right. Well, it's awesome. Well, thanks for, for being on the show. Everybody, another amazing episode of Amazing Business Radio. This is why we do it. We have insights from some of the best people in the world. And this week with Mike Redbird of HubSpot, you actually heard from a practitioner who's in the business, on the business, working it day in and day out. Next week, we'll have another great episode. Please come back and join us. And until then, remember, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>